powerful is the Cox Network. So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. A family favorite for three decades. The Bull Run Festival of Lights dazzles with two and a half miles of sparkling holiday lights. See more than 600 light displays with new displays added every year. Ooh and ah as you drive through the winter wonderland where it's always snowing and come see the tallest light display yet. Extend the magic of the holidays by visiting early starting November 10th. Get your tickets now at bullrunfestivaloflights.com. That's bullrunfestivaloflights.com. Let's join Bishop Kevin J. Foreman. Take over. Take over. Encourage somebody next to you and say, I found what I'm looking for. Tell them, I found, found what I'm looking for. Show sure enough. Amen. Hallelujah. Everybody stand with me. Lift your Bibles tonight. Y'all ready for the word tonight? Uh, the Lord dropped the last minute change on us. So that means it's ooh going to be good. Normally when he does that, those are extra special for me. Amen. Look at the neighbor and say, if you don't get something tonight, something wrong with you. And we talking about I left harvest, I just didn't know, something wrong with you. Lift your Bibles, let's make our confession of faith together. This is my Bible. It is the living word of God. My mind is renewed and my spirit is prepared to receive the word which produces faith. And faith pleases God. I'm not just a hearer of the word. I'm a doer of the word. This word has given me life. Shout it out. I am. Hallelujah. Remain standing if you will. We welcome those watching at all of our campuses. Go to John 6 and 35. John 6 and 35. Uh, as I was getting ready to come into worship, I sent a message out to our social networks, and I, and I put the, tonight's teaching title, I said, Thirsty, and then somebody responded and said, Me too. But it was thirsty with a question mark. Mm -hmm. John 6.35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. In essence, he was saying, If you want to live, you got to eat from me. Uh, and if you're not eating from me, you're not living, you're just playing games. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But, but I need to just insert this because Jesus didn't say the rest of what he wanted to say. Let's get this. He says, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So how do I know, how do you know, Bishop, that uh, Jesus didn't say everything he wanted to say? Because there's some believers that are acting thirsty. So evidently, Jesus meant to say, and he that believes on me shall never thirst unless they stop drinking. Because there's too many believers acting like they thirsty for something Jesus said they never thirst after. So evidently, there must be a way to stop drinking. One more place. Go to John 4. One more place. John 4. Give me a little bit more monitor. John 4. John 4 and 13. It says, uh, you know this. This is the woman at the well. Uh, this is the woman where Jesus shows up and tells all of her business. Uh, and she says something like, I perceive that you are a prophet because she says, listen, don't try to sit up here and act all religious with me. Jesus said, the one you with now ain't even your husband. I know your business. I know your stuff. Look at somebody say, God knows your stuff. Here, you, you can sit up here and act religious all you want to, but God knows your stuff. Look at verse 13. So Jesus answered and said to her, whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. What was he talking about? The water she was serving him from the well. The water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up 
into everlasting life. Which means then, even when I feel empty, there's a spring there. So that spring bounces me right back to life. Father, tonight I just want you to do what you always do. Just be God. I would like for you to speak, Father, in such a supernatural way, Father, that we leave this place undoubtedly knowing that you have spoken not just the Logos word, something you have said, but a rhema word, something you are saying to us right now. I declare that there are some people in the house tonight that say, Lord, we're thirsty for more of you. And, and, and we don't want to have a thirst for other things, but we want a thirst for you. We want a thirst for your goodness and your mercy and your attributes. God, we're going to be thirsty until we act just like you. We want to be thirsty until we look just like you. We want to be thirsty until we talk just like you. And it is so in Jesus' name. Somebody shout hallelujah. Look at somebody, ask him that question. Say, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Be seated in the presence of the Lord. Uh, sometimes areas of our lives can be cyclical. It, it means they can be up, uh, they can be down, they can operate in cycles. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes one of the areas of our lives that can become cyclical is our spiritual life. To where sometimes you feel like you're high on top of a mountain, and then there are some times where you feel like, God, are you playing games with me? God, what did I do to you? Anybody ever felt like uh, things were so bad in your life, God had to hate you in that moment? Okay, y'all ain't going to talk real to me. Yeah. Have you ever felt like, God, you must be angry at me because for all of this to be going on, what did I do? Sometimes our spiritual life can become cyclical. It can go up, it can go down. And the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus and the word of God uh, presents it so that we ought not have that kind of a spiritual life. That we ought to have a consistent spiritual life. Say consistent. Uh, consistent means that it is not tossed to and fro based on circumstantial evidence, but it is convinced and it is, watch this, even convicted about a principle that it will not be moved by what it sees. Too many people are seeing eye saints. They're moved by everything that they see, and consequently they can never get into faith because they're always walking by sight. Well, if I live by sight, I can never enter into the realm of faith and watch this without faith. It's impossible to please God. So then I feel distant from him because I won't do what he requires me to do to please him. And so since I can't please him, I'm trying to figure out why my sight keeps being the way it is. But that's the reason I'm in the cycle because I live by say, uh, sight. I have no faith because I have no faith. I don't please God because I don't please God. I feel far from him because I don't feel because I feel far from him. I live by my circumstances. So then because I live by my circumstances, I walk by sight, not by faith. And then so now I can't get into the realm of faith. And so now I don't please God. And so since I feel don't please God, I, I feel far from him. And since I feel far from him, I start living more by my circumstances. And so you're in a crazy cycle. But God wants us to have consistency. Say consistency. Now when we say first, I want to be clear. Uh, say first. It is a thirst for more of him. Now, when we say that, a lot of people get these weird constructs in their mind, like they're sitting at home and they're just saying, Jesus, just come and pick me up and take me out of here and just touch me, Jesus. And, oh, Jesus, I just want to feel you. Oh, Jesus, just whisper sweet nothings in my ear. That's weird. Okay, I just need to understand that. When we're saying we thirst for him, we're saying we're thirsty for his attributes to be manifested in our lives. And not just what he can do for us. Who wants to only be wanted for what they can do for you? You don't want to be wanted like that, so then why would you want Jesus like that? Are you here? When you are only thirsty for a specific outcome, you'll lose that thirst at some point. That's why some people get fired up about the Lord, and then three or four months later, all of a sudden, they don't go to church no more. They don't pray no more. They don't give no more. Why? Because they were thirsty for an outcome, not the God of the outcome. And so they were thirsty as long as he fixed that marriage that really needed to break anyhow. They were thirsty, y'all not saying nothing, as long as he fixed their job situation. They're, they were thirsty as long as he was doing something for them. But the moment he didn't do what you wanted to do, the thirst is gone. 
Are y'all still here? So then that means I cannot be thirsty for an outcome. I got to get to a place to where I'm a mature believer, to where I say, if he does that, I still want him. If he doesn't do that, I still want him. If he does that, he's still good. If he don't do that, he's still, you got to be like Keith Sweat. I want him. Just so they would say, I want him real bad. I want him real bad. I want to see his attributes manifested in my life. Can't be thirsty for a specific outcome. I have to be thirsty for the God of the outcome. Now notice what Jesus said in the text. He said that if a man believes on me, he'll never thirst again. So then that would suggest to us that the key to losing thirst is unbelief. That, that, that's the key to losing your thirst. Matter of fact, I want to tell you, everything that ever goes wrong in your life is connected to unbelief. You sin because of unbelief. Because you don't believe that the wages of it are death. Unbelief. Y'all not saying nothing. Uh, we worry because, because of unbelief. Because when he said, pray about everything, worry about nothing, we didn't believe that. So we just said, I'm going to worry about everything and pray about nothing. Okay, y'all don't, don't want to talk. That's fine. I, I, that's fine. Preach, Bishop. So when we doubt, we doubt because of unbelief. God says to the children of Israel in Numbers, go into the land that I have given you. It's yours. Go take it. Now, there's some giants there, but it's yours. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody, just get this picture in your mind. If somebody says to you that they got, let me just use this for an example. I don't want you to be materialistic. I just want you to get a, a visualization. If somebody says, I got a Bentley for you. Somebody says, I don't need them. Well, fine, but then give me yours. Okay, so somebody says, I got a Bentley for you. It's yours. But now there's somebody sitting in the driver's seat, and you're going to have to dispossess and repossess because it's yours. Here's the title. Here are the keys. But now they're sitting in your seat. You just got to go fight with them a little bit, but it's yours. That's what he tells the children of Israel. He says, go into the promised land. It's yours. I have given it to you. But only be careful that you dispossess all of the ites that were in there, the Amalekites and the Ammonites. Be sure that you dispossess and repossess them because I'm not giving this to you unless I know you got a little bit of fight in you because if you ain't got a fight in you, I know that when you get it, you won't fight to keep it. And the same amount of fight it takes to get in is the same amount of fight it takes to maintain. Are you still here? He says, it's yours. And you know what they do? They look at that Bentley and they say, we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we became in the sight of our enemies. It's giants over there. Well, what are we supposed to do? Doubt is a result of unbelief. How is it God going to tell you something? And you, with all of your intellectual prowess, I'm going to say something back to him, contrary to what he told you. Doubt comes from unbelief. Stress is a result of unbelief. You don't believe that you can cast your cares on him because he cares for you. So because you don't believe that, you stress out about it as if you're going to fix it with your stress. Has our stress ever fixed anything? I, I'm here to tell you, there's stuff that if you could be stressed out about it from 10 years ago, you'd still be stressed out about it. Stress don't do nothing but put cortisol and get your stomach over your belt. At least it's cortisol. Cortisol makes fat go to the belly. Amen. I refuse to look like cortisol. That's not my gift. Anxiety comes as a result. Of, of, that, of unbelief. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. One of the other translations is anxiety. But of power and love and a sound mind. He's not given us that. So then if we have that, that must mean we don't believe. Bad decisions are a result of, of, of unbelief. Because we'll make a decision based on temporary circumstances, but it'll be a permanent decision. 
And so we'll say, well, God, I know you told me to do it, but God, my bank account's speaking to me. Oh, so do you serve God or your mammon? Because you seem to let your mammon run you. Your money tells you how to jump. It tells you when to jump. It tells you how high. Your money keeps you going back to bad relationships. Your money keeps you yoked up to bad people. Your money seems to run you more than your God does. Okay, this is too heavy. This is too heavy. This is too heavy. Unbelief is the result or causes every bad decision. You'll keep bad friends around for unbelief. You keep them around. You, 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 you keep yourself in situations that God has clearly made very aware to you that that ain't got nothing to do with his plan, his will, his purpose, nothing godly. But you'll do it because of unbelief. Oh, Jesus. Sometimes, though, see, because God knew we'd have a belief issue. He, he knew that. He knew that. That's why he gave us the story of Mark chapter 9. Write it down. You can go study it in your own time. In Mark chapter 9, there was a man there, and he was coming to the Lord on behalf of his child. And, 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 and as he's talking with the Lord, uh, the Lord is speaking to him concerning that. And the man says, in verse 24, he says, he says, the Bible says he cries out with tears. And he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I know you've been good to me before, and I know you've brought me out before, but somehow, some way, there's a little part of me that just can't seem to get out of the boat. So if you'll help my unbelief. What does help mean? Help means give me grace to take a step and not worry about where my foot's going to land. Give me grace, Peter, to get out and walk on water. I've never seen anybody do it. I've never watched anybody do it. But you told me to come to you, and the only way between here and there is this water. So now by deductive logic, I can assume you're going to make me fly or walk across the water. Peter said, I got enough faith to get on the water. I ain't going to ask you about flying. Lord, I believe, but help. Somebody shout, help my unbelief. See, sometimes you think you got to be super strong. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. Just look constipated. Sometimes you got to tell the Lord, Lord, I believe you. I just need you to help me. I don't even need you to help me do it. I just need you to help my unbelief. I'll do it. I just need you to give me the courage to do it. I just need you to give me the intestinal fortitude to do it. I just need you to give me the unmitigated call to do it. Just give me some courage. Somebody shout courage. The root of the lack of thirst is unbelief. It's unbelief. It's what makes us turn to everything but God. For situations that only God can deal with. Are you here? Now look at this. If I thirst for him. If I thirst for him. He promised. I would not be thirsty again. Remember the caveat though. Is unless I get into unbelief. Because if I get into unbelief. I'm going to start being thirsty for something other than him. Only because I took my mouth off the cup. Well, the psalm says my cup runs over. Why does it run over? Meaning if I'm keeping focused on that cup, I'll never have the necessity to pick up the saucer. And I'll never have to tilt it back because I'll always be eating from overflow. But now watch this. If I thirst for him, what are we saying he is? He is his attributes. Everything that is him. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord that gives us peace. He is all of his attributes summed up. That's why the scripture says our God is love. Why? Because love perhaps uh, outside of the name God, love perhaps is the greatest word that could ever exist because found in the word love is the answer to every issue. 
That's why the scripture says love covers a multitude of sin. It does not approve of bad behavior. It just covers it. It just ensures that it's fixed, but it's fixed in such a way that it is done to bring reproach to no one. And so now he says, he says, if you thirst for me, you will never thirst again unless you stop drinking. Now, when we thirst for him, we got to know what the result of that is. Say result. If I thirst for him, I get all of the benefits that come with him. If I thirst for him, I get all of the benefits that come with him. Now, this is important. Uh, some time ago, uh, 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 Verizon had a commercial where uh, everywhere they went, the little man with the blue jacket went, everywhere he went, this big entourage of people followed him. What they were trying to say is, everywhere you go, the network's coming with you. Watch this. When we thirst for him, what are we thirsty for? His attributes. Lord, I want to talk like you, act like you, walk like you, live like you, do everything. I want to be like you. You used to say, I want to be like Mike. No, I want to be like Christ. Got it? Now look at this. If I'm thirsty for his attributes, I get all of the benefits that come with him. Say benefits. Now some of the benefits are goodness. That, that comes with the Lord. See, I don't have to pray for goodness because I got the Lord, so I got goodness. You're not hearing what I'm saying. Uh, 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 one of the benefits that comes with the Lord is mercy. I don't have to say, Lord, give me mercy. I don't have to say, Lord, have mercy. Uh, mercy comes with the Lord. So, so, so I don't have to pray for that stuff that comes with the man of the thing. See, if you're praying for the thing, that's why you're praying for the thing, because you're trying to get the thing. But when you get the God of the thing, everything that the God has comes with the God. You're not hearing what I'm saying. So I get the blessing. I ain't got to pray for the blessing. I get the blessing because I got the God of the blessing. I don't have to pray for favor because I got the God of favor. I don't have to pray for prosperity because I have the God of prosperity. I don't have to pray for wholeness because I get the God of wholeness. Go, go to Psalm 68. Psalm 68. If I thirst for him, I get him. I get everything that comes with him. Everything. How much? Everything. Everything he has comes with him. Everything. And, and the great thing about it is, he says, I don't have no kind of prenup. He said, but, but, but if I leave, you try to do it without me. He'll need a prenup. Because when he leaves, everything he came with, go with him. Psalm 68, 19, got it? Blessed be the Lord. Now you read this. Who what? daily does what? Loads us with benefits. Now for all of you sitting around with your little pity party and your little issues and your little woe is me, you ought to read your Bible. Your Bible says daily he's loaded. I dare you to look at somebody and say, I'm loaded. I'm loaded. I'm loaded. Daily he loads us with all of his benefits. Which means the reason I didn't lose my mind last week was because he loaded me with his benefits. Reason you haven't thrown in the towel is because he loaded you with his benefits. Psalm 103 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So then what we got to stop doing is chasing benefits and then chasing the God of the benefits. Because as long as you're seeking benefits, uh, uh, one of the things about a slave is a slave is always seeking money, not wisdom. And, and a slave is always seeking benefits, not opportunity. Well, am I going to get two weeks paid vacation? Right, but you're missing the scope of the opportunity, slave. Because opportunities of a lifetime have to be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. Slave only seeks external. They miss the opportunity of the whole. Watch this. So then same as with God. Then I do not seek his benefits. I just don't forget about them. Since I have the God of the benefits, I don't forget about the benefits. Are you still here? Now, 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 we've already said this, that what steals, 
what steals our thirst for God? What was it? It was one word. Unbelief. Every bad decision you make is, cannot, is tied to unbelief. Everything we do sinful is tied to unbelief. Every time we worry, it's unbelief. All our stress is unbelief. All our anxiety is unbelief. Everything that could be negative is all a result of unbelief. But now look at this. Look at this. Often, I wish I could tell you um, that uh, you would just have a natural thirst for God on a daily basis. But the truth of the matter is the scripture suggests something slightly different. It is not that that is an inaccurate statement. It is, however, an incomplete statement. This is what, what do you mean? Often, the thirst is initiated involuntarily. And God permits circumstances that will cause you to thirst for him like never before. Uh, I can tell doing praise and worship the people that are going through something. Because their worship is slightly different than the folks that's in the middle of the greatest days and stuff going on. Because people that are going through something, they're pressing and don't care who's around them. They're going for what they know and don't care what you got to say and you got to say. Ain't trying to do it the right way. No, they singing off key. No, they clapping off beat. But could care less because they're saying, God, I need you. I, I don't need you tomorrow. I don't need you next week. But I need you now. The praise and worship of a desperate person is always very distinct from somebody that thinks that their stuff doesn't stink. always distinct. Worship has an aroma. Now what did I say? I said to you that often thirst will be initiated. How? Involuntarily. Let's be honest. Now you're maturing and we're all maturing. Everybody's maturing. But how many of you in your immature days that the only time he heard from you Okay, don't sit up here. I will have a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge line right now and call you out. In your immature days, you mature now. You're spiritual now. But in your immature days, sometimes the only time he heard from you for real. I'm not talking about, Father, just thank you for waking me up. Oh, Lord, just a good day. Thank you, Lord. Lord, just bless. Lord, just, just, Lord, just do whatever you want to do. Amen, amen. But he heard some of them out of your belly. Okay, I can't get nobody over here. He, he, he heard from the real you when you were going through stuff. So let's look at a text. Let's look at a text. Go to Judges 10 because I want you to see this principle uh, so wonderfully illuminated through the scriptures. Because God knows just what fire to turn up to make you come back to drink. Y'all ain't going to say nothing. Y'all, That's what I love about him. Is he, he won't turn me over to Satan. He says, I'm going to keep him for myself. But the scripture says how fearful it is to be in the hands of a living God. He says, no, devil, no. I'm going to keep this one. I'm going to play this one close to the chest. Because I know just what it's going to take to get the best out of them. There is no oil unless the olive gets crushed. And God knows just what setting to put the crushometer on to get premium, extra virgin olive oil out of you. Extra virgin, what is that? Pure. <laughs> he says, I know how to get the stuff that's not got motives attached to it out of you. I know how to get a worship that's not just because I gave you a promotion last week. I, I know how to get a worship out of you. I know how to get extra virgin out of you. Judges 10, look at verse 12. Also, the Sidonians and Amalekites and Maonites oppressed you. And you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand. Yet, you have forsaken me and served your job. Oh, I apologize. I misread. 
Yet you have forsaken me and served your spouse. Oh, I forgot. I'm sorry. I've got to make this iPad bigger. Whoops. Yet you have forsaken me and served everything else but me. God's means source. That's what, that's what it means. It means source. He says, you've looked at everything else for your source. For you called me and asked me to help you. God says, you called your friend. Okay. 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 Therefore, I will deliver you. Watch the Lord talking. No more. Now, it's one thing for the prophet to say that to you. Because you can kind of go privately and beg for mercy. There's another thing for him to be speaking audibly amongst the people. And saying, since you don't want to do right by me. I ain't delivering you no more. <laughs> and then he takes it to a whole nother level. Verse 14. Go and cry out to the stuff you turned on me for. So look at what he does. The first thing he does, the first thing he does is he looks like he's turning against you. Mm -hmm. See, he knows just how to get some thirst out of you. Uh -huh. And then he looks like he's going to leave you in the mess that you made. Look what he says. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. Now, those two verses right there, <laughs> you know, sober you up a little bit. It's one thing when the God says that I have everlasting mercy and everlasting grace. When he says, mm -mm, not no more. We, we fresh out of grace. You fresh out of mercy. Ain't no more saving going on. I'm fresh out of salvation. No more. You should have came last week. So look at that. He, he, look, he makes it look like he's turning against you. Anybody ever been there where it seems like God, it seems like you're for them and against me. So I'm saying no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Every time that rises, judgment shall condemn. If God be for me, who can be against me? But God, I'm wondering if you for me. It looks like he's turning against you. Then he makes it look like he's going to leave you in the mess that you made. Because sometimes God has to prove a point to you. If you're a parent, you know that sometimes you have to be really firm and really harsh. Not that you intend to carry out your firmness and your harshness, but so that they get the point. Sometimes you have to, watch this, sometimes you have to get people to a point to where they realize, I'm not playing with you. Okay, y'all, 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 okay, y'all, okay. So, so God says, I'm going to get you to the point to where you think me and you is over. I'm going to make it look like I've turned my back against you. And then I'm going to make it look like that mess you made, I'm not cleaning up. Now that's a day. You talking about your little issues, that's a day. Imagine that conversation with the Lord at about 8.30 that morning. That your whole rest of your, you ain't even leaving your room. Just you calling in for everything. I just. But God knew just what it would take. See, if you understand the book of Judges, the book of Judges is this cycle. Remember we talked about cycles at the beginning? It's this cycle where they would, they would, they would serve him. They would prosper, then they would fall away. They'd serve other gods. And then God would say, quit doing that. They'd say, mm, no, we're going to keep doing it. Then God say, I'm going to raise up an oppressor against you that you'd learn to serve me. I don't understand what else you think is out there. You want to try Buddha? Try him. Okay, what, who else do you think is out there? You want to try Allah? Then go try him. You want to try uh, uh, Tyrone? Try him. Keisha Nim, try there. Try. Who, who, what else is out there but me, God says. He says, but since you seem to think that there's some green grass over there, go on over there. But just remember, turf always looks green. Problem is, when you get over there, it's not real. 
See, if I could get some real folk in the house where you tried turf to only find out that it looked real good, but when you got over there, everything you thought it would be, it wasn't. He says, he says, I'm not delivering you no more. I'm not doing this anymore. And this is only chapter 10 of the book. He says, I'm not doing this anymore. But then look at what happens at verse 15. But the children of Israel said to the Lord, watch what they say. We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. What did God initiate? Thirst. You missed it. In two verses of scripture, God took all of their rebellion and all of their acting out and all of their foolishness. And in two verses, he took them from thirsting after everything but him to thirsting on nothing but him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Verse 16, so they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. They changed, and his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. God says, uh, God says my mind, my thoughts, my will, my emotions about you can no longer endure you making a mockery out of who I made you to be. You ought to be glad you serve a God that says, I can't look at you like this no more. You ever had somebody where they were in a down spot and you couldn't even look at them because you're saying, this is not the you that I know. What is this? Who are you? God looks at you and says, I don't even know you. I can't deal with the misery you're in anymore. So that day, even though a few verses before he said, I ain't delivering you no more. He said, I just needed to, to push you to a place to where you were thirsty for me and nothing else. Not thirsty for my hands. Not thirsty for what I can do for you. But just thirsty for me. Because notice, he didn't make them any promises there. It just says his soul could no longer deal with watching them live so far beneath what he ordained for them to live. If you're a parent that has children and your children are grown and you have to look at them living beneath where you know they should be living, it almost disgusts you sometimes. You love them, but it disgusts you to look at them and say, why have you fallen so far? Why are you like this? And God says, it's misery not only to you, but to me. Because I'm your father. He says, I made you fearfully and wonderfully in my image, in my likeness. And you living like this? But he knew just what it would take to get them to be thirsty. Just your neighbor say thirsty. So watch what they did. Real quick, there's, there's three things that they did. You ready? The first thing is they repented. Some of you are saying, oh, Bishop, I know repentance. The fact that you said it like that too proves to me you don't. Because you're arrogant. Repentance, perhaps outside of love, is one of God's favorite words. Bishop, why? Because repentance means, it literally means to turn around, to change directions. Repentance means to change your thoughts. Repentance means you finally come to your senses. The prodigal son, he repented. Teshuva, the Hebrew word. He turned around. He changed directions. The children of Israel, once God pushed them to the brink to where they thought he was through with them, they repented. They said, God, we have sinned. What did they do? They took responsibility for their actions and they committed to changing them. And I know the 21st century church don't want to hear about taking responsibility, but you shouldn't have came to hear me tonight. Because if you can't take responsibility for your actions, you've been where you're going. You've been where you're going. It's always somebody else's fault. If you can't take responsibility, you've not repented, you have apologized. And there is a difference. Apologies come without conditions. Repentance is always conditional. 
I got to change. I apologize, but I got to change. I take responsibility. That's my fault. No, that's not her fault. That's not her fault. That's not so-and-so's fault. No, I'm going to quit being Adam. No, it's not the woman's fault. No, it's not the serpent's fault. No, it's my fault, Adam. I should have been there handling business. I didn't. When you repent and take responsibility, there's nothing. There's a show I watch. show I watch is called Flipping Out. Anybody else watch that? Oh, okay. Well, then. I ain't got nobody that can get with me. <laughs> oh, there's a guy, and he's really, uh, he's really, I, I would probably say he's, he's extremely anal. Uh, I mean, on a whole nother level. And uh, there was a guy in his office that he had taken uh, right out of design school. He's a designer. He flips houses and does design and stuff like that. But I, but, but, but I love watching the show because I just love the dynamics of, of the relationship and business and all that. I just think it's a neat show. And so anyway, he took this guy right out of design school, and he takes him, and he teaches him everything. He teaches him everything. And then one day, they went on his computer because they were trying to find if an email got sent out. And when they went on his computer, they found out that the guy was designing personal projects on company time. Now, that's the wrong thing to do to the fella because he's going to call you on it and it's going to be an issue forever with this particular fella, right? So he, they bring it up, and he said, that takes hours and hours and hours to do. How is it that he's doing that when we're behind on this other project? So the next day, he calls him in. He says, hey, uh, hey man, we need to, we need to uh, me and the, and, the, and the business manager, we need to meet with you. And... Uh, and we need to talk. And, he, and they had just fired somebody the week before. So he says, is this how her conversation started? He said, pretty much. And they sit him down and they say to him, they say to him, hey, listen, uh, you're, you're acting real arrogant. You're off and off. And, off. and then he says, he takes out the little design he had been working on that took him hours. And he hands it to him. And he says, uh, can you tell me what this is? He didn't accuse him of anything. He said, can you just tell me what this is? See, you got to be careful about people that get defensive before you even said anything. He said, can you, can you tell me what this is? And, and he just kind of sits there like, duh, like dumbfounded, which is the worst thing to do for a high personality like that because now he's going to go in attack mode. And, and he goes, and long and short is, he says, would you have anything to say about this? And you know what the employee's response is? You know what he should have said? I apologize. It was wrong of me to do. I had no business doing it. I'm not going to do it again. He would have still had his job today. But because he was too prideful, do you know what happened to him? Let me tell you what happened to him. Because he was too prideful, he says, well, you all have had time to get your thoughts together about this. I'm just kind of being bombarded with this now. So can I have some time? He said, no, this is your last day. Get out. When people take responsibility for their actions, it disarms the person that has to confront you about not taking responsibilities. See, that's where we got issues in marriages because the wife is coming to the husband and saying, would you take responsibility? And the husband turns to the wife and says, would you take responsibility? But because nobody wants to take responsibility because people think it's about being right. What happens is now you have all of these issues, and then these issues bleed onto the children. And now the children won't take responsibility for nothing. And so then we try to wonder uh, how we're going to fix kids with two hours during a week, and you got them all week. Well, we can't fix them if you don't take responsibility for nothing. They took responsibility. It's got real quiet in here. Good. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> take responsibility. You were wrong. Say, I was wrong. And here's how I'm going to fix it. Oh, well, listen, I didn't know. I just, Shut up. I was wrong. Okay. Luke 14, verse 26. You can write it down. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, it doesn't literally mean hate. It means love less in the Greek. Anyone who does not love his father and mother less, his wife and children less, his brother and sisters less, Yes, in his own life, also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be di my disciple. So repentance means I changed my mind. But check this out. It means I forsake my old traditions, my old patterns, 
my old habits, and my old mindsets. Jesus says you have to love everything less than him. See, you can't have a thirst for him with something that's equal to him. Got it? So, so, so that means, repentance means, God, if I know this pattern got me in trouble, I'm going to forsake it. And I keep getting surprised when I follow the same pattern and get the same result. See, some of you single folk keep dating the same kind of folk, and you try to, I just don't understand. You understand? Because you follow the same pattern. You walked into the same club, had on the same shirt, with the same cologne, walked up to the same kind of... I said it back there, and then you wonder why you got the results you got. You're following the same pattern. And Jesus said there's only one thing greater than the word of God. Watch this. Psalm 138.2 says that God has exalted his word above his name. That means above the name of Jesus is Jesus' word. But now check this out. Then above that, the scripture says there's one thing that is more powerful and potent than the word, and that's your traditions, your patterns, and your habits. The word says that your traditions have made the word of God of no effect. Which means the most powerful, potent force on earth, even beyond God's word, is what you do with it. Your traditions, your patterns, your habits. Are y'all here? The second thing, the second thing. Talking about thirst for God, right? So we're going to repent. We're going to say, Lord, we were wrong. Now all this excuse business. We did it. Sure did. Ain't nothing worse than somebody that can't just stand up. Just stand up and say what you did. What you, you must be big and bold doing it. Amen. And ain't nothing worse than somebody that think they don't need to repent. All right. Can't, ain't got time for that. I'm already over time. Clock is beeping me. Two. Fasting and prayer. This develops a thirst for the Lord. Sometimes God will put you on a, on a, on a forced fast that you don't even know. You get to the end of the day and be like, God says, I knew what to do to get that thirst out of you. I knew I couldn't tell you the night before, so I just took away your hunger the day of. Because you would have had so much, oh, I don't know if I can do a whole day, oh, whole day, just water, oh, Lord. You won't die. Be all right. Consult your physician. Necessary medical advice. Fasting and prayer. Say fasting and prayer. You don't wait for Bishop to call a fast. Fasting ought to be part of your lifestyle. Be part of your lifestyle. It's Tuesday. I'm fasting. Fasting. What? 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 That'll be part of your lifestyle. Part of your continual thirst for God. Got it? I've, there's teachings on fasting and prayer in the book, so I don't have time to get in that. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, you know it who are called by my name, say it with me, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, repent. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear, heal their land. Now, now check this out, Second Chronicles 7 and 14. Check this out. Look at what he says. God, that's God talking. If my people who are called by my name get to the end of it, he says, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. How is God hearing from the place he dwells in? Because all of heaven, when you fast and pray, comes into agreement with you. So God says, I hear a sound in the heavenlies that's provoking me to come off of my throne and hear the agreement of all of heaven with you. When you fast and pray, Gabriel agrees with you. Michael, all the angelic hosts, they agree with you. That's how God, how does God hear from where he dwells? Third thing, y'all all right? Intentional worship. Intentional worship. Say it. Intentional worship. Now, now, Bishop, what do you know? I worship, I lift my hands when they tell me to. That's the problem. That's it right there. You just, there it is right there. Oop, there it is. Thought you knew. Intentional worship says, if don't nobody get up here and sing. I don't need no tambourine. No. I got a foot and some hands. Say intentional worship. Intentional worship is the worship you do when you're driving down the street and everybody in traffic looks at you and thinks you're crazy. That's intentional worship. That's intentional worship. Intentional worship is where you're praying in your cubicle because you're saying, God, you got to give me peace of mind. And somebody walks right over and says, Ooh, what you doing? Baby, I'm just in worship. You need to give me a minute. I'll be done in just a little bit. I can't talk to you right now. Say intentional worship. 
They were intentional in turning from and turning to. Intentional, which means I got an agenda with my worship. And I don't mean that in a negative connotation. I have an agenda from the connotation of, Lord, you've been way too good to me. And I know because you're faithful, you're going to continue to be good to me. See, stop saying, Lord, if you don't do another thing, but stop saying that. Because if that really happened, you wouldn't feel that way no more. Stop saying stuff you don't mean. God, if you never do another thing, you, I, that is not my prayer. That is demonic and satanic. No, we got a covenant. You got to do some things for me. We got an agreement. Say intentional worship. Psalm 143.6, look at it and write it down. I stretch forth my hands unto thee, my soul thirsts after thee as a thirsty land. My soul, my mind wants more of you. My thoughts need more of you so I can keep them off of this foolishness. My emotions have been so up and down, I need you to come stabilize them for me. Say intentional worship. They repented. What did they do next? Fast and pray. What was the last thing? Intentional worship. Now check this out. Check this out. I do want you to look at this scripture. Isaiah 44, 3. I want you to look at this scripture. And I'm through. Because I want you to know what happens when you thirst for him. That's how you do it. It's real simple. I know you want uh, some uh, Hebrew words. I'll give you some next week. Don't fail at the major and major in the minor. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> look at it. You there? Isaiah 44, 3. Let's look. For I will pour, what? Water upon who? Him that is thirsty. <laughs> Read the rest. And flood. Stop, 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 stop. When a flood occurs, a flood is incredible because it washes out everything that's not supposed to be attached. When a flood comes through, a flood is going to pick up all of the things that are anchored into the ground. There's some stuff I don't have to sit up and say, Lord, is that person for me? Lord, is this, is this, is this, is this? I have to do all that if I'm thirsty because my thirst will cause a flood. And the flood, when it comes through, is going to uproot everything that ain't supposed to still be there. And floods upon the dry ground. For I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. But he says, I only do this for who? Thirsty people. Say thirsty. Now, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little exercise at all of our campuses. We're going to do an exercise. There are three things. Repentance. There's some stuff tonight that between you and God, you can just take responsibility for. Stop blaming it on your ex. Stop blaming it on whoever. Stop blaming it on your mama. Stop blaming it on so-and-so. Listen, uh, how's that working out? All that blaming, what are you getting for it? Nothing. Take responsibility for some stuff. That's stuff you just say, Lord, that, that was me. That, that was that was me. That that, that but I ain't even play, Lord. That was me. I had wisdom. Somebody told me not to, and I did it anyhow. I got myself in this mess. That was me. Oops, I did it again. And then second, prayer. Can't do the fasting part now. Somebody said, I fasted all during the experience tonight. <laughs> that doesn't count. You need to set a routine of fasting. And there's teachings about fasting and praying in the bookstore. And then the third thing, intentional worship. And we're going to do it with no music, nothing planned, just your voices. Just your worship. Because if you have to be prompt and prodded, uh, uh, let me say it like this because I don't want to insult your neighbor. Elephants, if you play the right music, will dance. So if your worship is always tied to a song, you haven't graduated to worship yet. You're still at praise. And that's great. That's great. But when you graduate to worship, you don't need a song. 
Because you'll do what the scripture says. I'll make a joyful noise. Matter of fact, I'll sing my own song. That's why the scripture says sing a new song. What's a new song? One I had to make up because I didn't have no words. Well, I just made it up. I was going through so much. I just, Lord, I'm going to lose my mind. But Jesus, it's just a new song. I wrote that thing on the way here. Hold I wrote it on the way here. It's a new song. Let's do it together. Everybody, every campus, stand to your feet. Let's do it together. Let's do it together. Father, tonight we repent of everything, Father, that we need to take responsibility for. Forgive us for casting off responsibility on anybody else, but we repent tonight. And that repentance means more than just apologizing. That repentance means saying, God, we're here to change directions. Give us the grace to change our patterns and our habits and, and the things that kept driving us in those directions. Wherever you are, at every campus, open your mouth and begin to repent for what you know. And if you don't know nothing, repent for what you don't know and what you do know. That, that's not a prayer of repentance. That's a cute prayer. I said a prayer of repentance. Come on, open your mouth tonight. Everywhere, open your mouth, whatever it is. Whatever it is. Now say, Father... Say it with me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I believe your word says that if I confess it, that I'll be forgiven. So as of this moment, I am forgiven. Now say, Lord, I need grace to change from this point on. I'm thirsty for you. Now, right where you are, I want you to just get with two people. Get, get in groups of two or three. And I want you to begin to pray for one another. 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 Come on, we don't need music to do it. We're not animals. Thankful for it, but we can mature beyond it. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, pray for them like you're praying for yourself. I don't hear nobody praying. Hallelujah. Every campus, everywhere. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I want you to loose those hands and I want you to worship intentionally. Worship intentionally. No, no, no. no don't clap your hands right now. Don't clap your hands right now. Don't clap your hands right now. Don't clap them right now. That's good, but let's not do that right now. Let's go into intentional worship. Intentional worship. Intentional worship. That's out of your mouth. Intentional worship. Intentional worship. Come on, sing unto the Lord a new song. Come on, intentional worship. Intentional worship. Intentional worship. Hallelujah. Come on, Harvest. Is that the best we got? Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. More than anything, Jesus, we thirst after you. More than anything, Jesus, we thirst after you. Hallelujah. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why they love Viator. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences and something for everyone. Plus, their travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like hiking Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania or enjoying the views while cruising on a catamaran in the Caribbean. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. With over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10. That's V-I-A-T-O-R-10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator.